Think insurance is boring? Think again. Many experts say that insurance is the most powerful industry on the planet. So join us and discover why the Quarters Cast is making insurance super cool. All right, so my guest today is Eugene Sharfransky of Thinktum, and you're located in Toronto. Uh, you founded Thinktum in 2018. Uh, you're the head of strategy there, and Thinktum is a no-code platform geared to the insure tech industry. So I'm really interested in this because I think you're doing something cutting edge. Uh, can you describe to us how and why you formed Thinktum and, uh, yeah. and what it does? Yeah. Thank you so much, Rene. So uh, first of all, I'm not a founder. I'm a head of strategy, but uh, I'm working directly with the founder and, and the founding group. So I think that was created exactly or founded exactly for the reason you mentioned, is to be able to create a better customer experience for, um, for the applicants, for those who are seeking for life insurance, for advisors, for those who offer life insurance. That's kind of their main job. And then also offering a better customer experience, or I would say, uh, a better journey, user journey for those who create insurance products, for those who work in back offices, who work, those who work within insurance companies, within different jobs, roles, responsibilities, uh, to be able to make it better for everyone. You probably know insurance industry as a whole is a little bit uh, outdated or struggling to be modern, uh, struggling with the technological advancements, right? It's uh, because of the concept of how risk should be assessed and the uncertainty and lack of trust, and you name it, there's probably a long list of different reasons. But, uh, we want to be one of those companies who can find reasons why we should. And 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 not just to say, but actually doing it, and that's that's pretty much the main purpose for us, okay, for well, our you, existence. Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, a lot of insurance companies have been around for like 100 years or more. So how do you see your platform? It's no code. How do you see the integration? Like, what does that look like? And it, that sounds very challenging. Yeah. So first of all, we can look at some of the even recent experiences I had with a number of insurance companies, both for me uh, working with representing them uh, or uh, under any constellations of my experience with them. Mm-hmm. So insurance industry as a whole, generally speaking, would consider themselves as, a, as a, something very simple, just ask a few questions and then let's see what happens after, right? But uh, with the technological uh, evolution, uh, and in the last 20 years, perhaps more than ever, and because it's, it's more kind of exponential today, it's, it's evolving more than before, you, you figure out that what has been done is not good enough. When it comes to no-code, no-code is really a concept, it's not a new concept overall, but it's a newer concept within the insurance industry. So no-code is a technology that allows uh, using, let's say, assume as a graphic interface in which user who doesn't have to be a programmer, doesn't have to be a technologically advanced person, but they can create any type of flow and rules and outcomes and personalization they want. And, and because they can do it, now you can allocate much less tech resources, which most of insurance companies struggling with that. Most insurance companies do not have enough technological resources, enough teams or or large enough for teams to deal with uh, new ideas. Majority of their teams really stuck with the legacy and fixing that and adjusting the other thing, but creating new things is typically something they struggle with. And let alone if now they're creating something that also they need to maintain it even more, it, is, it goes against what those companies or majority of insurance industry is trying to create. There's, there's obviously don't accept some exceptions, but let's talk about a, a general rule. So no code 
allows business experts. You think of product people, business analysts, some executives, maybe underwriters, maybe actuaries, right? It allows them to create and work with technology on their own without involving product managers, project managers, without involving QA, without involving designers, developers, all those people are typically going to take significant amount of time to to create something, to adjust something, even to fix a spelling error, right? You have an electronic application, you have a spelling error on it. You're going to go to PM, you're going to create a task, developer's going to fix it, you're going to test it. It may take a long time. What if you just could have done it yourself? Done it yourself. So you have it in front of you, just fix the error, and it's done, right? This is kind of the, the easy way to, to give an example. And with some, some um, experiments that we, we run, we've seen that if you... If you do that, that way, you, you save significant amount of time. Another challenge with the industries, time is critical because you collect data and data gives you some outcomes. You can analyze data much faster today. So when you have a specific evidence, facts about something not working right, the question is, how long are you willing to live with that not working right or not being right, which may impact your assumption, which may impact your quality of business, which may impact your um, mortality, your risk assumptions, right? Your profitability. How long are you willing to live with it knowing it's there? Because nobody can, you know, uh, shut it off because you need to continue generating revenue. Right. So what if you could, as a business person, make those adjustments on the fly based on the evidence? What if you could have gone to your reinsurer and present them those data, facts, and evidence and they, again, from my experience, will be more open to discuss it, to negotiate, to make changes versus if you come with emotions, right? When you say, well, I think it's not good or, or I don't like how it is. It's not good enough. But when you bring a, a pure, clear evidence, they're going to get you much farther. Okay. So let's, much faster, which is Yeah. Important. Yes. So let's, let's see this. Um, there's a number of huge old insurance companies that dominate the industry. And so what would a meeting with executives, you and executives, explaining to them how they take their system, which is kind of all chopped up. There's some parts that are, are really secure for the application, the medical information. And then there's the CRM, which is a little more open. And all these moving parts for the agents, for the clients, for the underwriters and admin. What does a meeting with you and the executives of a company like that look like? I'm trying to explain how that's going to work. So it's interesting because I cannot recall having the same. And difference comes from a challenges are not uh, are not the same. So most insurance companies will have a little bit different challenges, a little bit different needs. You're also going to be having decision makers in those meetings that may come from different disciplines, right? Are you coming from product? Are you coming from distribution revenue? Are you coming from uh, the actuarial side of it? Um, you know, are you an entrepreneur, maybe a small organization when you have someone who is more, you know, like a founder type of a person, right? So, so they will have different needs. So for us, what we always try to do is to understand what those needs are first, because as much as we want to revolutionize the entire industry and, you know, go from zero to hundred, we know it's impossible. Uh, we know, and one of the things with larger companies, one thing that it is common is that neither of them is ready to make that move so fast. It has to be gradual. And, and gradually, it has to be that the tempo or pace for the change has to be convenient for them culturally or uh, or whatever other reasons it may be. So for us, instead of being disruptors, we're trying to be collaborators. So those meetings typically are going to be look like we interviewing them to fully understand 
where they really need help or where they think they need help. If we feel there's something they may have missed, we pro- propose it, we may suggest it, we may recommend it, but, but that's pretty much the idea. Now, if we go more into more specifics, if you like, when it comes to specifics, what we find typically is that um, all of them would like to improve their bottom line. All of them would like to generate more revenue, to expose themselves, to improve the customer experience. Then some of them understand the, the impact of the quality of business. Not all of them, but depending on the size of the company and other things, right? So for us, it is really what we can do to improve as soon as possible, as fast as possible uh, for them what they really need. And it may be maybe different things. Uh, some of them more interested into risk assessment and underwriting. Some of them going to be it's more about customer journey and advisor journey, right? How we can make our advisors feel comfortable when they go through this process and return their clients will feel comfortable. Some of them struggling with legacy system, how we can connect an older system to a newer system, how we can retain a previously collected data and analyze it better, and how we can analyze it, analyze data as a whole. What data do we need? So it's going to be a little bit different from, from one to another, but the concept is really all of it geared towards one, one point is the bottom line. So now what are we looking at in terms of cost? Because that sounds almost overwhelming, really, to try and integrate. Well, I, I, it depends on the company. Every company has uh, their own costing model. For us, what we're trying to do, we try to adjust. So I think the costing model is going to be different from company to company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and obviously, the volumes and, and what they want to do also going to be different. So for us, costing-wise, it's a modular thing. As a whole today, there's different models. Uh, and not talking about us in particular, but we've seen models that include, let's say, implementation fee and the licensing and then either revenue sharing or and transactional fees and so on. So I know the majority of technology companies trying to, to structure some type of a winning scenario for uh, the client they, or insurance company that we're working with. And, and so do we. we. We we have the same approach. It's not, we have a general idea of implementation fee and transactional costs, but we typically uh, do a lot of due diligence to understand what is that the best for that specific client or that specific company to make sure that it's it's convenient for them. We would hate for someone not to take on ability to modernize themselves and be able to provide better ex- experience for the advisors and clients just because they couldn't afford something. That would be a shame for everyone. So right. for us, it's always having this com- communication to understand how they see it, what is it in their mind, right? And then trying to make sure that we, we can deliver the closest to what they were, were thinking of. Okay, great, excellent. So now the no-code... Yeah. The no-code platform is based on artificial intelligence. And so can you explain more how that works and data collection? And I know there's a lot of fears out there about artificial intelligence sort of taking over. And, and if you can you speak to that, please? Yeah, so it's interesting because I think AI, artificial intelligence, AI got some of the, some of the bad publicity, but it's not because of AI. Uh, and and uh, the main reason for that publicity was because there are several organizations, and even within insurance industry, that that were a little bit in a rush to launch something, and and they did not put enough thought and efforts to test it enough, and they did not check all the algorithms because AI is not a is not an iRobot or Terminator, it's it's primarily a, a, a software, a program that someone coded, right. and someone gave its specific functions rules uh, that they need to follow. And what makes AI complex is some rules can be more complex. So that's, that's where it becomes complex. But it also leaves a room for human being to make a mistake when they create those algorithms. 
And, and sometimes when there are mistakes happening, and you may realize it a little bit later, you think of that being decided for itself. But it's simply that rule perhaps was not ever tested. And now when the first time you see it, you think, oh, I didn't anticipate it. Yes, but it's there. So, so that's the idea behind it. So I think AI itself, it's not a scary thing. Uh, it's just a, a complex programming environment, which sometimes humans tend to make a mistake or don't test enough before they deploy. And, and then and it's easy to blame it. It doesn't fully understand what AI is. Now, uh, AI also can be, can be divided or separated in few different concepts. So you have a symbolic AI, which is more simplistic AI uh, or more complex programming, if you like. And then you have uh, a traditional AI, which is going to be more of a machine learning and deep learning and natural language processing and, and computer image recognition and so on. So all those components kind of create a, a tree of AI. Uh, with no-code, uh, no-code itself majority of it built on more of a symbolic AI. So it's more uh, uh, kind of a decision tree, some more simplistic, some more complex. There's lots of reflexivity in it. We also had the hyper-personalization approach, which, uh, you know, we, we take the reflexivity to the next level of making sure that it's not just a list of questions and then they open or not open, depending on, on what you answer, but the entire flow is kind of integrated, intercorrelated to allow for a process to be very personalized. So if you answer the questions, right, or if you apply for something or you go through the flow, you would never feel that it wasn't for you. Everything there, it is designed just for you, very personalized. And, and it's not a new concept. If you go to a, a Nike or you go to Apple or you go to those places where you have your own account, when you go in, they already know what you want. They, they know your profile, they know your demographic profile, they have your previous experiences. They try to make sure you feel you feel comfortable. It is for you. And that's the idea behind it. It's not, not about business. It's about how we feel when we go through a process of doing something. Uh, uh, so, so our AI is based on that symbolic AI is built into no code. There's some more complex, like natural language processing and some other elements that are built in if those are being triggered. And then another part of AI, some called real AI, is machine learning and, and so on. That, that applies to data. So data that's come in from the process, post-disclosed data and data that is a behavioral data, meaning how user was completing it, designed for us to a help organizations to to understand where the disclosure is not is lacking, basically, mm -hmm. and where the disclosure maybe included some type of behavioral fall behavior, maybe fraud, maybe misdirect. Mm -hmm. So those things you want to eliminate because that will help you with your reputation and claims. But it also designed to optimize the the, the environment, meaning. How about, you know, how many questions once someone answered on average, how long it takes them to answer those questions, where they're stuck, when they don't understand, uh, when they stop and don't continue anymore, percentage-wise, right? So you can really quickly analyze, this is good, this is bad, I need to make some changes here, I need to reverse this flow. So those things are going to allow you to continuously optimizing that. And machine learning can provide a much faster outcome of it because it can... Uh, it can provide you the supervised and unsupervised machine learning. So basically you can go either allow it to look for specific items or trends you're looking for and outliers, or you can just ask it to look for it for itself. And it should be able to tell you, well, this is abnormal or this is normal or whatever it is. So it, you can implement both and you can A, look for what you want, and then it can find something for you that you want. Now you mentioned security. So one of the things or the AI um, you know, 
reputation, let's call it this way. Insurance industry as a whole, uh, and that's maybe a good thing when it comes to AI, it's based on a traditional component of underwriting manuals or risk manuals. And those risk manuals are, are pretty much traditionally were the only component or the only Bible that our decisions are made. So AI would not be making decisions based on things that are not in it. Uh, so it's not going to be making its own decisions or programmer would not be able to make their own decisions about something. Maybe collecting data for general statistics and behaviors and so on, it may be, but you would not find their discrimination that much because it's really mainly collecting data and just analyzing it. I think discrimination comes with decisions. Uh, I've seen some companies had discrepancy with a, on a racial basis or uh, or maybe some other components. But, you know, majority of insurance industry is far, far away from it. And again, the, those risk manuals that typically done or, or provided by reinsurers from some larger companies, they're pretty strict on how they're designed and they're only looking for risks, not necessarily to discriminate, even the risk can be considered discrimination too, because you do discriminate based on risk, but it's really a component that allows you to price properly and 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 be able to fit the proper category of a specific insurance solution to a specific applicant that that you know fit them the best okay. way. All right, I I want to address too the how technology where all that data gets stored because we've heard a lot about quantum computing and how pretty much all these big companies collect our data and it gets sort of funneled into a huge database that we're all sort of you know a little bit big brotherish and frankly. Uh, you know, the powers that be do know an awful lot about us. So how does your software fit into that? And, and you know, where does it go, <laughs> basically? Well, yeah. without getting into too, too many technical definitions, today, most of the data is stored in different servers and clouds. So depending on the company, depending on how they do it, every company today putting a lot of effort into making sure data is secure. So uh, both internally and externally, it only allows proper access. Um, and I can tell you from our perspective, the way we do it is it's also stored in cloud, but even internally, we have, have, uh, we have filters to an- an- anonymize the data. So even our data science team, when they look at the data, they don't see nothing personal. They see it as a block of you know, how many uh, people from specific categories did what they did. So there's no really personal data access. All the rest is really locked and stored. You have the, the PCI compliance for credit cards that's working from, it's not just insurance, it's everywhere. It's from banking, it's every every retail, online retailer and so on. So yeah. now, obviously, we have people that manage to to break through and manage to get, to get through and manage to scare people or maybe even get access to some data. But I know every single company perspective itself today put a significant effort and significant financial effort too. To make sure that all of the data is stored in Scanner, uh, it can be done in different clouds. It can, it can, you know, be separated in different ways. Some cloud and some different servers that are more physical and so on. So it, it allows really to make sure that, you know, they don't put all the eggs in one basket. Right. And so even if something happens, it doesn't happen to the entire data. Okay. But um, it, it's really individual from company to companies. As a technology provider, and I know not only us, most of the companies to really make make sure that what they provide is as secure as possible. Uh, we have a security department or other companies that do that too. And, and there's a constant updates and there's constant studying of the market or the industry or uh, how data is done overall. And working with, with, with you know, uh, credible 
providers. You know, today you have the Microsofts and, and the Amazons and so on, and some others. Don't want to advertise them, but we all know who they are. And, and the idea is to work with those who, who give you that security and give you that support to make sure that things are done in the most secure manner. Okay, so I'm, I know just through the research um, doing um, uh, for this in- interview, I was wondering what other uses does this have and, and how, I guess, infiltrated will it get into our society? How do you see that going? I think that at the end of the day, you know, we talk a lot about insurance and and. and as I mentioned before, to me, majority of companies, when they say customer journey or customer experience, they really look at a customer. I think we should look at it as a as a, any kind of person whoever can touch it or will touch it. So they all have to have that experience. We should never choose just one person uh, or one specific persona or one segment, if you like that. And, and for us, it's always been to understand how we can help the entire spectrum of those who are going to be uh, either directly or indirectly touching it. So, so to me, uh, a technology itself really need to make a step ahead and to be more, uh, um, more inclusive to different roles and not just to you know just for customers. Because I know many companies they the outside look very technologically advanced, but then if you look behind the scenes, it's not really the case, right? <laughs> and so what they can hide, they don't mind hiding because nobody can see it. But then again, you are not optimizing your ability to, to really perform well. And, and not everything can be really estimated or budgeted properly, but you have to understand what's the longer term impact, not just the short term, not just today. And, and then eventually, I think that people tend to discount advisors and talk a lot about direct-to-consumer. And I think in, 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 if you look at the last, I would say probably 10 years, direct-to-consumer existed already. But direct-to-consumer itself, of at least insurance industry is not progressive enough. So if you think the consumer can go and buy insurance alone, it's happening very, very rarely. So I, what I gonna, what what I think gonna happen is that advisors, same as other professions within the back office of insurance companies, they also gonna get through go through some augmentation. So advisors that, and it's happening right today. We've seen more and more advisors that are now relying on technology. And, more, and, and prospecting itself changed a lot too. So what I believe is going to happen is that technology is going to allow advisors to get access to more volumes via, you know, network, internet of things. And those, those, those volumes, you can look at them as leads if you like. But those volumes will allow, um, will allow them to spend less time on prospecting and maybe be more effective as prospecting but be able to spend more time on generating business for themselves and really helping their communities or, or the environment involved in. And I think this is what we're going to see. It's going to be amalgamation of, of the what's called lead generation or online presence, because we all presence online today. And we would see not all advisors are going to be able to go through this transition, but it's like in any other profession, the generational change. So we will see that it's a group of advisors and in next generation of advisors, they're going to be more open to work with the online presence and they will be able to connect with their virtual crowd much faster. And then technology not only can connect you, technology can also refine it for you. Technology can, can pick those that you need to connect sooner or can, can choose those who have a higher probability to, that they're more serious about it versus someone who may be just shopping around. 
And not to say one is more important than another, but you can prioritize them accordingly. So basically what you're going to see then, in my opinion, shift of technology going to make a shift of advisors becoming almost like a call center advisors, but different. It's so going to be a remote work environment. That's actually uh, very much what uh, Wikiquoters was created for, because I'm a licensed uh, insurance agent. Uh, my partner in this is a digital marketer. And we realized that, uh, you know, prospects are treated like, uh, you know, data receptacles to, you know, yeah. <laughs> so many people. It's, it's, it's crazy. And so our shtick is you get a licensed agent the first time. So, I mean, for us, your technology sounds phenomenal. So how we have a website and stuff set up. How if we started using your service, how would that look different for us as uh, you know, agents that are looking for leads? So, I mean, for us, we've done uh, recently, late last year, we've done one of those deployments, actually for organization that does very similar stuff that same to you. So this organization called Liva Finance. So they work with uh, a public sector health network, have access to, uh, to various hospitals and so on, different nursing homes. So talking about many thousands of, of employees. Uh, and those employees have an ability to access that help portal, financial help portal, and go through a series of questions that will determine their needs and what exactly they're looking for. And from there, it, it either can kick them out into direct-to-consumer channel, but they can attempt to complete on their own. They don't have to if they don't want to. Uh, and it provides a summary of the journey to an advisor and then system also what it does, it prioritize accordingly, depending on what they need. Because keep in mind in in, in the space that this specific uh, firm operates, they have, with some of the clients or some of those prospects, they have a limited time to get a specific solution. So systems should recognize limited time because they, if they wait, let's say, 30 days, the solution is no longer available. So you have to be very timely with it. And there's some other uh, concepts. It's, it does an initial uh, screening for investments, and it does uh, screening for products like a disability and living benefits and critical illness and some other products. So all of that is happening. Now, how it's done typically, so we need to understand the prospecting funnel. So basically, you have some type of ability to generate leads from somewhere and they come in your way. It may be social media presence or it can be um, maybe specific websites and some other portals or whatever it may be. Maybe someone else helping you. Uh, never mind. It's coming from somewhere. So the moment uh, prospects, we call them prospects, but they're leads basically. But the moment prospect clicks, clicks on, on that specific button or gets into the portal, you right away begin the interview. Right, if that's that's always the process. So you you asking them questions in in the way you generate leads. You always have to get the point. You asking them questions. Yes. So those questions, um, you know, you really want to because you know every question you answer, you create a drop. So there's always percentage of those proxies going to drop. They're not going to be interested. They just try. They so the idea is for you to make sure that the first group of questions gonna collect enough information for you. So. Our recommendation in this environment is really their contact information is really the most important. So as soon as you can get there, the better it is because that is stored and that becomes a lead. And lead you can allocate to someone. And the completion of the lead can be dependent on how far they got in the process. And process, again, if process personalized, studies show that they're going to stay longer. So if you can make it really personal to them, if system, it's not going to be a blank question or give it to all of your clients, 
but it's going to personalize itself as, as, as that specific prospect answering the questions. You're going to keep them longer. You're going to make it more complete. So give you an example. With, uh, with some of the pilots we did, you actually end up having... So before that, we're just going to say that the, the conversion ratio was somewhere around 3 to 5%, depending on the channel. And when you personalize them, you now get less leads, but you're going to improve your completions. Mm -hmm. So basically, you create more efficient environment. So for example, in the group when we had five advisors, their revenue of those advisors improved significantly because they were wasting less time with a lower quality prospects. So they actually managed to get to an environment when more of their calls and more of their contacts, first of all, they've been faster because now the priority allows them to connect with someone faster versus you have, you have 50 people you need to connect today. We have 20. gives you a different time. They spend more time, more quality time with those people, which improve their conversion and their ability to close. Mm-hmm. And, and they were happier. They were yeah. making more money. Yeah. They were not living, you know, uh, they were not living after a few months because they felt they're failing, right? right? right. So right. It, again, as I mentioned to you, to us, it's kind of a 360 degrees approach. Right. It's not just a specific person. It's not just a prospect. It's not just a customer. It's not just an advisor. It's not just the, the owner of the, of the firm or CEO of the firm. It's everyone. And when you, when you manage to tailor your system to everyone and make everyone happy, that's the most, uh, uh, most effective approach. Oh, this has been excellent, uh, Eugene. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. So, so if somebody wants to get a, a hold of you, because you do work with individual agents as well as large companies, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. they just go to your website and, and inquire, and they can start the process. Yeah, they can go. They can go to thinkton.ai. We actually just uh, launched a rebranded version of our website just last week or so. So uh, they can go to, to thinkton.ai and they can uh, ask for someone to connect with them or ask any question. And you also have information of the key people, including myself. They can reach out to us directly via LinkedIn. We're going to be always happy to chat with anyone. For us, so obviously business and revenue is one side of it and we all need it. You need it. I need it. We all need it. But I think the best way to get there is to have conversations. We, we never shy away of talking with anyone about anything we learn from each other every day. So it's important for us to, to keep those conversations together and, and, uh, and making sure that we're helping one each other to understand how we can make the world better. Well, that's excellent. I think that's a good note yeah. to end on. Uh, so thank you. Thank you very much, Eugene. And uh, I look forward to uh, following up and learning more about uh, your company and watching it grow. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate that and feel free to connect. If you need any help, you want to chat any more outside of the podcast, but just overall, feel free to do that. We'll be very happy to, to connect and chat more. Oh, absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank so, you. All right. So Have a great day. All right. Bye, Eugene. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.